This is Chapter 131 of the WCBS Author Talks podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS ADD Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich. Coming up, a horrific true crime story that left me without words and a thriller inspired by real-life events. Philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche once said that man is the cruelest animal. You don't have to look any further than the new true crime book from Greg Olson to find evidence of that being true. In If You Tell, Olson recounts the story of three sisters who witnessed and suffered unspeakable abuse at the hands of their mother, Shelley Notek. That's K-N-O-T-E-K if you're curious and want to look her up. I spoke with Greg about why the girls have decided to publicly tell their story now. This is hands down one of the more horrific books I've read. And to know it's all true is really sobering. Why did these three sisters decide now was the time to share their story? Actually, they came to me and they said, we want a book written because no one knows what our mother did. And we don't believe that she's capable of reforming in prison. We think she'll do this again when she gets out. And the clock was ticking. When I first got with them, it was, you know, four and a half years until Shelley was released. And now it's, uh, yeah, it's two and a half years. So it's getting there. There are really some truly dark moments in this book. And yet you describe the feelings while writing it as hope and appreciation. Why is that? Well, you know what? It's because I got to know these women and I could see that they are horrific things. And you've read the book, so you know what awful things happen to them and happen to the people that lived with them. But they came out okay on the other side. That's the miracle of this story. I mean, you and I, maybe not you, but I could complain about my childhood if I wanted to. Um, but, but I have no reason to compared to what these girls went through. So whatever things I'm looking back on, it's nothing. And yet these are survivors and they're wonderful people. Like you just said, you realize you may have gone through some tough things, but nothing compares to what three these three sisters went through. And at the same time, too, you know, I found myself rooting for someone to say something and to get out and had to wait a really long time for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, it went on for over 10 years, the abuse. And, you know, I kind of thought about that, too. I thought, like, was there going to be somebody, when I first started this thing, was there going to be somebody that intervened? And no one did. And that's why the girls had to do it themselves. Was there ever a time when you thought that the stories you were hearing and, and relating were just too much for you to deal with and that maybe you should just quit? No, no. I mean, I, there were. Um, I gotta admit, there were tears. You know, when you're sitting with somebody and they're telling you these things that happened to them. Um, I never wanted to quit. You know, I wanted. I believed in them, and I believed in their purpose. And if you write true crime, a lot of times, Lisa, it's just a horrific story with really nothing at the end that's hopeful. And in this particular case. No matter what they told me, I knew at the end that they were going to be okay because they were okay. Now, tell us why it is that we've never heard about this case before. Well, one, you're on the East Coast. (laughs) (laughs) So you probably didn't hear about it. But here's the real reason was that um, it happened very quickly. Um, The youngest daughter, um, you know, forced uh, her sisters to all come together and stop their mother and their father. And... They were arrested. It was a big news out here for maybe a week. And then it went away because there was never a trial. 
they pled, they took what's called the Alford plea, which basically says, you know, I know the prosecutors have enough to convict me, but I'm not really pleading guilty. I'm just accepting the conviction. Now, I know you mentioned at the top of this interview that these sisters are coming forward because they're really concerned when their mother gets out of jail in a few years that she's going to find more victims. Is there any way besides getting the word out about the book to prevent that from happening? Or is there just some sad, lonely person out there that that she's going to end up abusing again? Well, that's, you know, you said the right words there. She picked victims that were sad and lonely, people who were um, ostracized maybe from their families or their friends. And, you know, Shelly Notek is a predator and predators know where to pick out their prey. So I think it's a good chance that she might try, but I think a lot of eyes will be on her no matter where she goes. So is this book really to serve as a warning to readers that these type of people exist? Yeah, here's the thing about that. I, I mean, we drive around. I live out in the country, and people live at the end of these, you know, wooded lanes. And I kind of wondered, like, oh, now what's what could be going on back there that we don't know about? So there's that idea that probably things like this are happening all around us. And even though we think we're more woke or more alert to abuse, um, if you don't see it, you can't help. And I know that you've mentioned a few times already that you know these three girls—they're doing okay, but I guess. Just reiterate that again. They really were able to pick up their lives and have normal adult lives. Yeah, I mean, they're better than okay. I mean, if you would meet them, Lisa, you would think, oh, my gosh, they're beautiful, accomplished, smart. Um, Two of them have, you know, children of their own. And they're, you know, one's a school teacher. They're all just, you know, doing the kind of things that anybody else would do. And, yeah, they've got this baggage from the past But they had each other, and that's what pulled them out of it. It really was the three of them. Is this story known only to people in their immediate circle? Well, in fact, the oldest one, um, when I interviewed her, she says, you know, my husband doesn't even know some of this stuff happened. He knows the basics, but she got in there and really told me all of the things that happened. And they are, you know, the one, one of them, the middle one, Sammy, she lives in Raymond where it happened. So there are a lot of people there that kind of know the outline of the story, but really no one knows the specifics and the specifics are the what's, if you read the book, that's what's going to shock you. Oh, 100%. I mean, there was, it was shocking revelation in detail after shocking revelation in detail. It's, I can't, after finishing it, I couldn't, I didn't even have the words to form what I thought about it and thinking of questions that I wanted to ask you. I'm like, how do we talk about something that, it was just, it's evil. It's evil and it's so dark. And here's the thing, you know, when I was writing the book, I was thinking, okay, should I leave that out? Should I leave that out? You know, I mean, I was thinking about the story is really the culmination of all the things that were done to them. And I put I probably left a couple of incidents out that I thought were just too much that that were too shocking. Um, But I did that more for the protection of other people, not so much to, you know, not tell the true story. Um, I think truth is on every page and there's a lot of it. So what are you going to work on next after this? Well, you know, I love true crime. This is my first true crime book in 10 years. And now I'm looking for another case. And what I'm looking for is something not like what I just wrote, but I I like the idea of the end of the story being something positive. 
And that's very hard to find in true crime. I mean, you've got a victim that's dead. You've got people who are shattered by that. And I am looking for some hope. So I don't know what that story is, but I'm going to find it. Well, I wish you the best of luck in that, because I think the world always needs a little bit of hope when there's so much darkness out there. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Lisa, for having me on. We've been talking with Greg Olson. The book is If You Tell, A True Story of Murder, Family Secrets, and the Unbreakable Bond of Sisterhood. Thank you, Greg. Thanks so much. Best-selling author Nelson DeMille teams up with his screenwriting son, Alex, to do what he does best— deliver a ripped-from-the-headlines novel set in an exotic location with an explosive ending. The Deserter is about the search for an army deserter who has fled to Venezuela from Afghanistan. The book also introduces readers to a brand-new male-female military investigative duo. Father and son spoke with our Pat Farnack. The novel, The Deserter, I so enjoyed it. It's about a team of criminal investigation division agents who have to capture an elite Delta Force officer who has deserted in Afghanistan, and they have to do it in Caracas. Why Caracas? Well, we were looking for dangerous places on the mm-hmm. face of the earth, and uh, Caracas was kind of falling apart when we started the book, and uh, we were actually going to go there as, uh, for research, but a couple of months into the book, we realized this is not a place we wanted to be. So we had to do some off-air research. I usually go to yeah. wherever it is I'm writing about, but this one I, I took a pass on. Now, Scott Brody and, and Maggie Taylor, they are the perfect duo for this assignment, aren't they, Alex? Oh, yeah, they were, they were, they were good. We had a good, really, really good time developing these characters because they, they both, he's a higher rank than she is in the CID, a little bit more experienced, um, but they both have unique uh, abilities. You know, they, they're both combat veterans. Uh, she was in civil affairs in Afghanistan, so she has a little bit more of a, a sense of cultural sensitivity and also how to kind of navigate inside of a, a place that they're not familiar with, and he's a little bit more brash, of course. Um, so that we thought they were good, they were a good foil, but they also had a lot in common. Yeah. Uh, so they could work together well. You know, for for all the the dark and disturbing undertones and overtones in in your story, it was a great touch, though, to use humor, uh, especially with Scott Brody's character, because you really have to lighten things up. That's a dark place they were in. Yeah, there's some pretty some pretty grim settings. I think that's something I. I grew up with a, a certain gallows humor from my, my father, and he definitely <laughs> did a lot of that. Did a lot of the lifting for that in his book. Uh, there was times when I was writing, you know, they're going through these these slums, or these other awful places, and these miserable places uh, in Caracas. And like, I don't, I know we, we need to lighten this up, but I don't see what's funny here. And he, <laughs> he was able to, uh, to he, he was always able to find the, the, the light and the darkness. That was that was definitely. Uh, interesting to see and educational. Uh, well, it certainly worked. And thanks to your son, Nelson, as well as you, of course, this is really cinematic. Any nibbles from Hollywood? No, not yet. You know, the book's fairly new. The manuscript's out there with Hollywood. My last book, The Cuban Affair, uh, we're on the verge of doing a, a, a good and big deal with a major studio. So, you know, usually when you start that way, with these standalone books. And the Cuban Affair is a little bit like uh, The Deserter in some ways. It's action-adventure. And so we, when we get this one sold, then we'll think about The, uh, the Deserter. And because we have Alex to do the screenplay on this one, if they, uh, if they want him to do the screenplay. Perfect. How did The Deserter come about? Was there something that triggered you telling this story? Well, you know, it was the Bo Bergdahl uh, case. Remember that? Yes. Uh, some years ago, he deserted from his post in Afghanistan, was captured by the Taliban, 
and then two years later was released in an exchange of prisoners. That was, I found it fascinating as an, as an ex-military, why somebody would desert their post in the middle of enemy territory, and then the obvious happened, he got captured by the enemy and spent two years in a Taliban camp. So I wanted to get into the guy's head a little bit, and the character that Alex and I created a little bit more, a little bit more powerful than uh, the actual character of Bo Bergdahl was kind of a loser. But our character is a Delta Force captain, mm. and the army cannot understand why he deserted and his bad public relations and so on and so on and so forth. But then when our guy is deserted, uh, spotted in Venezuela two years later by an ex-army buddy, that's, that sets the book in motion where Maggie Taylor and Scott Brody are sent to Caracas to find a deserter and bring him home to justice. Did your days in the military inspire the deserter, and did you have problems with authority? <laughs> I, I've always had problems with it. I, I felt confident, and I, and I understood you know, the military enough to represent it in the book. And I'd done this once before with an Army CID man, and it was the uh, when I wrote The General's Daughter that was yes. made into a movie with John Travolta. Uh, the main character there, the Travolta character, was an uh, Army CID investigator. And, uh, you know, to get back to your question about Hollywood, Hollywood loved that. They loved that idea of a Army criminal investigator investigating the Army itself. So we think that the people who are interested in that, maybe just Travolta again, would be interested in this character of Scott Brody. So will Scott Brody be back to fight another day with or without Magnolia Taylor? <laughs> uh, that's that's the idea. Yeah, he's yeah. going to be. He might, he might. They might put him on ice for a little bit after what happened in this book. But he will. The two of them will team up again for another case. And we're currently process of outlining the next Brody Taylor adventure at the moment. So this could go on for a long time. That'd be nice. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. You know? <laughs> uh, we both really enjoyed. Uh, really, really enjoyed this relationship and these two characters. So we're excited, and they really could go anywhere. You know, they're they're dealing with uh, crimes in the army that could take them anywhere into any kind of case in any place in the world. Sure. What about the father-son writing team? Did you guys get into any trouble doing that well, <laughs> with your relationship? I'd, I'd like to think that I, I checked my ego a little bit when we started the process, being that he's written you know over twenty books, and I've this is my first. So I knew I knew I had I'd, I'd been spending a lot of time writing screenplays, and I dabbled in short stories uh, mm-hmm. and other things when I was younger. So I definitely had given a lot of time to developing my own voice as a writer, but I knew. That what he what he has done in his career has been incredibly successful, and he's very good at what he does. And I was writing a book very much in his wheelhouse, so I was I was sort of approached it by knowing, okay, this is what I can contribute. This is what I I know I can bring to this to make it a little bit different. But I also know that I'm in his sandbox, and I'm I'm also here to to learn and to kind of collaborate, be a good collaborator. And so I think that I and I knew I know how he works just from you know, being around him my entire life. So mm-hmm. I think we were we were set up to for it to go go, go well, and it did. I think it really worked. I so enjoyed The Deserter, and thanks for taking the time to do the interview with me this morning. I so appreciate it. And that's where we'll close the book on this chapter. Next time, we highlight a short story crime anthology featuring only female writers. Until then, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich.